Good Tuesday afternoon, guys. My name is Jerry Miller. Welcome to the I Love Seville show. Thank you kindly for joining us. We're live in our building, the Macklin Building in downtown Charlottesville, on a show today that's presented by the Clifton in Keswick. If you'd like to make memorable happy hour experiences, date nights, family dinners, have a fantastic place for guests to stay in a hotel, a boutique hotel type setting, or make some special memories through weddings and events, the Clifton and Keswick should be your choice. We've seen firsthand the talent with their staff, the offerings they have, which are A++++, the Clifton and Keswick. Please remember that and think about it when you need a special night, a special meal, a special drink, or an event or wedding that's going to really resonate with your family and friends. Today's show is, is, is jammed with information, as they usually are on the I Love Seville show. What we try to do with this program is relay information to you that showcases the best or, or even difficult times of this community. We don't shy away from different difficult or awkward topics. For example, there are two potentially difficult topics today. One of them, Charlottesville Police Chief Michael Kachas has indicated the gun violence in Charlottesville is happening in three primary neighborhoods. He indicated yesterday the Charlottesville Police Department will create police districts around those three primary neighborhoods and offer more patrolling in a targeted heat map type of strategy. We talked on this show two weeks ago before Michael Kochis really had an opportunity to get into the job. He's about a month into the gig now. Two, three weeks ago, we said, Police Chief Kochis, you should look at the city. You should figure out where the gun violence is happening and create police profiling or, 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 or targeted policing because you don't have enough manpower to police the entire city. He literally is doing that right now. Literally is doing that right now. We'll talk about that on today's show. I had a parent relay to me a link yesterday afternoon from the Admiral County Public School website. This link is on culturally responsive teaching. Judah Wickower, who you will see on screen in a matter of moments, and I spent time before today's show trying to unpack and digest what culturally responsive teaching was or is. I read a lot. Judah reads a lot. We're well-versed with things that happen in this community. I'm going to be straightforward. I have a very difficult time understanding what culturally responsive teaching is. I'm going to relay verbatim to you what's on the Almoral County website, public school website, and ask you if this is just word salad. Because to me, this comes across as word salad. And if Judah Wickhauer and I are having a difficult time understanding what they're trying to say, how about a parent that may be working two jobs, has a handful of kids, is completely stressed and does not have enough time in their day, and may not have the opportunity to really unpack what culturally responsive teaching is? To me, it seems like the racial profiling of education. It's a perfect segue from what Charlottesville Police Department is doing with policing of certain neighborhoods to what Almaro County Public Schools are doing with education. I will read it to you later in the show, but from my standpoint, this is the racial profiling of education. We'll talk about that on today's program. We'll talk a response from Bodo's Bagels of, on my bagel business model revenue analysis from yesterday that went viral 
I mean, it is literally viral on all social platforms now. And we'll talk Rebecca's Natural Food, um, the longest standing business in Barracks Road Shopping Center. It's for sale currently. The asking price is $375,000. Yours truly can help you buy this business. First, you're going to have to sign a non-disclosure agreement with me before you see the financials um, and, 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 you know, data points for a business that's been in operation since 1987. Lastly, today, um, Charlottesville's airport, the Charlottesville Almoral Airport show, announced a nonstop flight to Orlando. While we applaud Cho for adding more flights out of Charlottesville, let's cut to the chase. I love that airport. It's easy to navigate. It's small. You don't have to show up significantly ahead of schedule um, and wait around the terminal because of the efficiencies built into a smaller airport. But if there's a fatal flaw with, with Cho, with the airport in Charlottesville, it's the lack of flight offerings. And because there are not a lot of flight offerings out of Cho, you're oftentimes having to take connector flights. Like oftentimes, Judah and I, when we were flying to, to, to service our clients in Newark, and excuse me, in New Providence, New Jersey, and in Chatham, New Jersey, we would fly from Charlottesville to Charlotte to catch a connector to New Jersey, literally going in the opposite direction. I also asked this question for you because I've had a number of people put this on my radar. The direct flight to Orlando is awesome. It's great for families who want to take their kids to Disney World. But how about a direct flight to Chicago? How about a direct flight to Los Angeles? Judah Wickhauer is going to take a trip. Is it to California or is your great aunt in Arizona? California. California. I'm going to put in perspective what Judah has to do to get to California from Cho. I'm sure Judah, like many of us, would love a direct flight to the West Coast. My brother lives in Culver City, Los Angeles. He works in, in the tech hub of, of one of the tech hubs of our country. And one of the difficult aspects of visiting my brother in Culver City is, is the connector flights are difficult to manage with young children. I'd love to see a direct flight to the Windy City, and I would love to see a direct flight to Los Angeles. I'm still not throwing shade on Cho for booking, for setting up the Orlando direct flight. So much we're going to cover on today's show. First, I need to talk the response from Bodo's Bagels. Yesterday on the I Love Seville Network, which is an aggregation of every social media platform known to mankind, our website, iloveseville.com, our daily e-newsletter, Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, we're posting content on it. We reach a little over 253,000 people combined through all those pages. We talked about revenue projections for Bodo's Bagels. They got three locations. And I based those projections, guys, on 1,500 tickets per store, an average ticket price of 20 bucks per ticket, and 360 days a year of operation. So if you take three locations and each location does 1,500 tickets, you have a total of 4,500 tickets. 4,500 tickets times $20 per ticket gives you $90,000 in gross revenue per day. $90,000 of gross revenue per day times 360 days per year is over $32 million of gross revenue. 32,400,000 to be exact across the three locations. We posted it on Facebook and on Instagram and on Twitter, and it went viral. We heard from the owners of Bodo's Bagels after posting this business model. They obviously saw the virility of the content. They responded to me by saying this, the ticket estimate and the average ticket 
are high. They said, while we don't provide financial information to public forums, we wanted to let you know, Jerry, that both the ticket number, total tickets, and the average ticket are a bit high. I appreciate that clarity from ownership at Bodo's Bagels. As a result, I'd like to tweak the model slightly before going to the next topic. I think, and, and, and I also want to highlight this. I heard from so many people tied to the University of Virginia about this topic. For example, I got a direct message from Jane. I'm not going to use her last name. She's an entrepreneur. She's a realtor, and she previously worked at the University of Virginia. She said this, I used to regularly place orders of 400 bagels for UVA events on Saturdays every weekend in the fall. That was for one alumni relations department. I heard from multiple UVA employees who were in charge of ordering for their respective departments. And these UVA employees who were in charge of ordering BOTOs for a catered type of event at their respective department or school said it was commonplace for their department or school to order bagels in the quantities of 100, 200, 300, 400, or more. John Blair, who watches this program routinely, shared a link from the BOTOs website. On that website, you will see a place to order large orders. It's a special gateway link on the website specifically for orders of 40 bagels or more. So if Bodo's has links like this on their website, you know they're getting orders like this. Furthermore, I'm getting contacted by the University of Virginia. They watch this program and listen to the show routinely, and they say, we often order bagels by the multiple hundreds multiple hundreds. So they have a fantastic catering or bulk purchase business that we are missing when we stand in line looking for our bacon, egg, and cheese sandwiches. I want to keep that in mind. I also want to keep in mind that moms and dads that go into Bodo's with their children know that that ticket price can start to get a little bit more costly. My son, for example, he's almost five years old and he's eating one and a half sandwiches and ordering an orange juice. His order alone, the one and a half sandwich order, is flirting with $9 and change. Of course, there's the daddy tax, and the daddy tax is me eating that other half sandwich and getting a large coffee. My wife also a coffee and a bagel sandwich. Our order for three people, four people in our family, but one of those people is a, is a 12-week-old baby. He has no teeth. Evidently, you can't chew um, salt bagels if you only have gums and no teeth in your mouth. It makes it difficult to eat crunchy things, I've been told. So our youngest can't eat the bagel. He's 12 weeks old. But our family, mom, dad, and our nearly five-year-old son are routinely spending between $22 and $25 at Bodo's. Um, so I want to highlight that. Um, I'll tweak the business model before going to the next topic after ownership at Bodo's said the ticket estimate and the average ticket are high. So why don't we do this, Judah? We'll use three locations times 1,200 tickets per location. That's a total of 3,600 tickets. 3,600 tickets per day at Bodo's. Let's drop the average ticket price to 15 bucks a ticket, okay, J-Dubs? So we'll go 
1,200 tickets times three locations, 3,600 tickets per day. 3,600 tickets per day at an average ticket price of $15, Judah. 3,600 times 15 gives you daily gross revenue of $54,000. $54,000 daily gross revenue times 360 days a year. We're going to say they take five off for the holidays. 54000 times 360, ladies and gentlemen, gives you gross revenues of $19,440,000. That's a lot of dough. That's a lot of dough. I want to highlight this. These are gross revenues. They are not taking, in a, taking into account rental overhead, cost of goods, and most importantly, labor. Bodo's pays extremely well. That's why you see the same people working at Bodo's all the time. They pay extremely well. Undoubtedly, the top expense for this business is the labor. They have an army of Bodo's workers, the three locations. Still, $19,440,000 in our adjusted business model projection is pretty damn good revenue. And I would argue there's no business in Charlottesville and Central Virginia that's locally owned. I'm talking local brands birthed in this community that does more than $19,440,000 a year in gross revenue than Bodo's. Maybe Tiger Fuel does. I would say the market's at Tiger Fuel because there are more markets than Bodo's locations. There are more markets than Bodo's locations. And I could see the average ticket price at Tiger Fuel with their sandwiches potentially being higher than Bodo's. Maybe that's the only brand that can do more business than Bodo's. Now, I want to clarify. Chick-fil-A does more business than Bodo's. Chick-fil-A does more business than the market at Tiger Fuel. Starbucks does more business than Bodo's. Starbucks does more business than the markets at Tiger Fuel. You would probably say that McDonald's and maybe Wendy's are doing more business with their locations than Tiger Fuel and Bodo's. But of the locally owned ones, I would say Tiger Fuel and Bodo's are one and two. Heck, Kelly Jackson, are you watching the show? Panera Bread is one of the top revenue producers in this community. KJ's Panera Bread is one of the top revenue producers in this community as well. So my adjusted model, before we go to the next topic, three locations at 1,200 tickets per location, 3,600 total tickets per day, 3,600 total tickets per day times $15 per ticket gives you $54,000 in gross revenue every day. $54,000 in gross revenue every day times 360 days of work per year gives you gross on the year of $19,440,000. That's a lot of dough. That is a lot of dough for a business birthed in this community, guys. Now, the next topic on today's program, and put your thoughts in the feed. If you disagree or agree with the business model, let me know. Ownership at Bodo's, I appreciate the DM. Thank you for reaching out to me and offering some perspective on our business model. We're grateful. Rebecca's Natural Food is for sale. We broke this news today on the I Love Seville Network. This business has been in operation since 1987. It's the longest tenured business Rebecca's and Barracks Road Shopping Center. The owner of the business would like to retire. He's worked his tail off for a generation. And the owner, Mr. Norman Dill, 
who opened the business in 1987, is choosing to sell Rebecca's, which is basically like a family member to him. He's worked there so long. That's one of the things. When you launch a small business, the small, when you go through the sweat equity and the trials and tribulations and the grind and the roller coaster ride of emotions of owning and managing and launching and nurturing a business, that business becomes a part of you. And almost you look at the business as if it's one of your scions, one of your offsprings, one of your children. I know I certainly do. I have two boys, one nearly five and one 12 weeks in change. And then I have a third child, this business that I go to every day for 65, 70 hours a week, which I've done for the last nearly 15 years, 15 years in May. And I know Mr. Dill feels the same way about Rebecca's because he's done it longer than I have since 1987. And I want to start by saying this. When your small business has been in operation and in a community, and it's a retail business like Rebecca's, and it's been in operation since 1987, that is, Judah, 36 years the man has operated Rebecca's Natural Food. Damn. 36 years of running a business when 80% of them fail in their first three years. And Rebecca's Natural Food is, 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 is a business that undoubtedly has had some headwinds. You know what some of those headwinds are? The internet and retail purchasing online and Amazon commoditizing just about anything you can buy. Amazon and Walmart and Target and these big box stores are commoditizing retail to the point that it's only about price. Rebecca's epitomizes price point, great service, great knowledge, and omni-experiential retail shopping experience. Omni-experiential retail is the key. You go into Rebecca's, you can buy something, but you leave empowered with knowledge on why what you are purchasing is the best choice for your body. It's the same thing Patty Zeller does at Animal Connection. It's the same thing Monique Moshier does at The Happy Cook. You go into these businesses as much to purchase something as you go into their business to learn about what you're buying. And that is the value proposition of shopping locally and preserving our local business models. I hope someone in Charlottesville buys Rebecca's. I really do. And if you're interested in purchasing this business, send me a direct message or an email. Jerry at vmvbrands.com. You can DM me on any social platform. I will respond by sending you a non-disclosure agreement, and then we can get some financials for your consideration. I hope this business stays in operation and stays local. You got the number one shopping district in Charlottesville Barracks Road. Is the rent cheap? No. But the shopping volume of people justifies the rent. And it's the longest standing one in this shopping center. Kudos and props to Norman Dill and the team at Rebecca's. All right, let's go to the two shot. Let's welcome Judah B. Whitcower. Judah B. Whitcower to the program. The director who's morphed into a key contributor to this program is known affectionately up and down the eastern seaboard as J Dubs. First, 65 degrees outside. The warm-blooded Judah must love this temperature. Yeah, yeah. When I'm outside, I do. (coughs) 
You're saying it's chilly in here? Yeah. I mean, it's 69. Actually, it might be 70 on that thermostat. Somehow, I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt. Somehow I doubt it. I'm wearing a short sleeve shirt and sweating right now. He is wearing um, a button-down long sleeve shirt, a sweater, and a scarf. We are very different. Um, your flight to California, walk us through the itinerary. Through the itinerary? <laughs> I mean, uh, let's see. I think I took a screenshot. Oh, I still got the email open. Uh, let's see. Are you flying out of show? Yeah. Charlottesville to uh, D.C. It's a short, hour-long flight. Probably not even an hour. I bet part of that is just sitting in the plane, you know, wondering why Taxi. We haven't, we haven't, we're not flying yet. Then, uh, then Washington, D.C. to Denver, Colorado. And uh, from there on to, uh, to California. So you're going to Cali... Whereabouts in Cali to see your great aunt? Is she 108 years old? She's 106, I think. Uh, she lives in... Uh, She's like a fine wine, 106. That's beautiful. Is this the great aunt that you told me stays alive by gin and tonics and smoking cigs? Or was that your grandma? That was my grandmother. Okay. Does she enjoy similar habits? Because I love your grandmother. Not that I'm aware of. Was it gin and tonics that she, she enjoyed? No, it was Jim Beam. Oh, that's right. It was even better, Jim Beam. I would love to see Grandma Wickhauer ripping Jim Beam and smoking cigs. Oh, man. She was one of a kind, right? My, somebody made her a card that she could pull out of her purse and give to someone if she was, too, uh, if she was having trouble uh, explaining what she wanted to drink. Uh, so it was basically a card with how she liked her drink. How does she like her beam? Uh, she likes a glass of Jim Beam, and she likes a glass of ice with, a, with like, a, a little spoon that she can, she can put the ice. She put the ice into the drink when, uh, when it needs a little more... Uh, uh, a little freshening yeah. on the ice cubes. That's my kind of lass, Grandma Woodcower. I like it. We, 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 we are distracted. That's my fault. So you're flying to Cali. You're going Cho to D.C. to Denver to Cali. Yeah. That sounds crazy, does it not? Cho that, to D.C. to Denver to Cali. How much is it costing you round trip for the flight? How much does it cost round trip? Oh, I, I couldn't tell you that. I bet you it's over 600 bucks. Uh, actually, I could tell you that. Let's see. Uh, round trip? Oh, you know, I'm, not, I'm not telling the prices. Come on. Tell me round trip. In, it's I would love to know. Is it 1200 bucks? More. $1,300? Yeah, just over. $1,300 for this man to visit his 107-year-old great-aunt before she goes through the pearly gates of heaven. $1,300 round trip, ladies and gentlemen. That's also, uh, that's also, it's also way more expensive uh, because I'm flying back on the weekend. No, I totally get it. But if, you and I both if know... I'd, if I'd come back on Monday, it would have been, I think, like half that. You and I both know that if Cho had more flights in and out of the airport, it would be more competitive in pricing. I also find it for a world-class city. I don't think and, I don't think prices are I don't think prices are based on the on the airport. I think pr- prices are undoubtedly based on the number of options coming in and out of the airport. If Cho had more flight options in and out of the airport, the price points would drop. If it had more options and more competition, the additional supply of options would drop the price. This is supply and demand 101 here. 
I find it odd, and Ben and an anonymous will get to your comments here. I find it odd. I find it odd that a world-class city, an emerging technology hub and incubator, Paul Manning, biotech, Jeffrey Woodruff, data science, University of Virginia, regional tech hub. I find it odd there's no direct flight to Chicago. I find it odd there's no direct flight to California, Los Angeles, if any capacity. They would probably have to completely rebuild the airport to get that kind of uh, traffic going. They used to have a direct flight to Chicago. Before COVID, there was a direct flight to Chicago out of Cho, and people loved it. That okay. existed. COVID eradicated the direct flight to Chicago. I may have, I may have taken that flight before. I, that I that flight undoubtedly existed. But this is certainly not... Uh, uh, my flight path is, is not anything strange or even all that crazy. And if you want to hear utterly insane, I recently saw something about... Uh, Somebody was flying from, it was like Jacksonville to Miami or something like that. Guess, guess what their flight was. Jacksonville to Miami? Yeah. Tell me. They took a flight from Jacksonville to, I believe it was, uh, I believe it was Newark. And then a flight from Newark down to Miami. That's absurd. Yeah. At that's that point, you just get in a car and that drive. Is in, that's insanity. You just get in a car and drive at that point. This is, uh, this is not that... You have nothing. no choice. You're going to California. You have to do what they say. You have to go to D.C., you have to go to Denver, you have to go to Cali. What are you taking on the way back? Cali, what? Flight on the way back. Cali uh, to Atlanta to Cho. Uh, Cali to Charlotte to Cho. How are you getting back? Wow, no, this one is... Uh, the way back is actually... It's actually great. It's... Uh, uh, the flight... The flight arrives in Los Angeles. That's the first, the first leg, is flying to Los Angeles. From where? From Palm Springs. Okay, wow. The great aunt living the dream in Palm Springs. No, she's in L.A. Oh, she's in L.A.? Yeah. Okay. Uh, the second flight is L.A. all the way to D.C., and then uh, D.C. to Charlottesville. And then that's That's great. not bad. That's better than the way there. It's better than, yeah, it's better than a medium-length flight and then a wait in, in the airport and then another medium-length fl- This is like really short flight, then a flight all the way across the country, and then another really short flight. Uh, Jason Burke watching the program. He lives in <coughs> Sherman Oaks. Yep. He says, um, Lax to Cho booked a few weeks out is under 300 bucks. LAX to Cho, under 300 bucks. You're flying direct, Jason Burke, LAX to Cho? For three Bs? For less than three Bs? Mm, there's no way it's direct from L.A. to Charleston. He says RT LAX to Cho booked a few weeks out is 300. Uh, he, yeah, I think he just means he's... That's a starting and end point. I'm fairly certain there are no L.A. Okay, understood. from L.A. to Charlottesville. Okay, he's, you're exactly right. He's saying LAX to Charlotte to Cho. You're 100% right. Thank you, Judah. Yeah. Uh, not only a scholar, but a man who understands flight patterns and schedules better than most. He goes LAX to Charlotte. I love the Charlotte airport. 
We landed in the Charlotte airport, oftentimes coming back from New Providence on our client trips. Is that the one with the big, uh, the big food court? In yeah, the it had the nice bars. I love airport bars. I love talking to strangers at airport bars and drinking $9 beers. That is a nice airport, but it's a lot of walking. I love getting my shoes all nice and shine at the shoe shine stand. Um, he did LAX to Charlotte to Cho for under 300 bucks. He did that flight, flight last Monday. Kelly Jackson watching the program. KJ! She says, watch out, they always cancel my DC to Cho flights coming from LAX if it's at night. I've had an Uber the last two times. A lot of cancellations out of Cho. Drives my wife crazy. I had a cancellation from, what was it? Uh, I think it was, I think it was DC. And, uh, and I was like, well, how am I going to get back? So finally I just told the person at the, at the counter, I was like, get me as close as you can. I think I made it into Richmond like late. It was like 10 or 11 at night. Uh, no car rentals. And uh, basically just had to do the same thing. Had to Uber it. No. Do you remember the time we were coming back from New Jersey after a week of servicing clients? We flew into one of those airports, and then the flight was delayed, and then they just got us to Richmond, and then my wife came and picked us up at like three in the morning. She was like seven and a half months pregnant. I said, we can't get from Richmond to here. There's no Ubers. There's no cabs. Can you come pick us up? Seven and a half month pregnant lady comes to the rescue at three in the morning, drives us, drives all the way to Richmond, picks us up, and drives us all the way back. Well, I got an Uber. One of the many times she saved Judah and I. I got an Uber, and uh, first of all, I don't think the person had ever been to the airport because they couldn't even find, they couldn't even find the place. And then once I once I finally got to them, I swear I thought this lady was going to kick me. She was going to drive 50, 50 yards and kick me out of the car because I get I get in the car and and she asked where I was going. I was like, oh crap. I said Charlottesville. KTP watching the program. Katie Pearl, the queen of Whitehall. We took that Chicago flight frequently to go to Notre Dame. That flight is very, very missed here locally. Kevin Higgins, the king of Greenwood. Yup, American Airlines to Chicago. There was one direct uh, to Orlando as well. Glad that one's back. Charlottesville, how much do you miss the direct flight to Chicago? There's many of us who've taken that flight that miss it. It was a common, consistent, relied-upon flight before COVID. Now it's been eradicated. Charles Falmore Airport, Cho, I would love if you brought back a direct flight to Chicago and see if you can figure out a direct flight to California. Anonymous makes this point. It's never going to happen. Anonymous makes this point. I think it's a damn good point. Listen to this in a direct message to, uh, on Twitter. He says, I mean, more flights of any kind are great, but I find it slightly weird that we have enough traffic to support a flight to Disney World, but we can't get a regular connector to Chicago. I'm a little curious about the whole uh, Orlando flight. I mean, is that a big thing here? Well, let's go to the news that broke right before the program started. Cho had a press conference today, and it's welcoming Avilo. Yeah. Is that how you think you say it? A velo? Sure. A nonstop flight to Orlando. They made the announcement this afternoon. Flights will be offered Mondays and Fridays. Tickets start at 49 bucks. 
49 bucks one way to Orlando from Cho. That's a damn good price. 49 Bs directly. I think we have the critical mass of people and the wealth in this community to support a direct flight to Orlando. I'm curious. What's in Orlando, though? What? What's in Orlando, though? What do you mean, what's in Orlando? It's one of the biggest tourist destinations in America. So, okay. I mean, that's great. That's why. Orlando is one of the biggest tourist destinations in America. I'm just surprised. Have you heard that- of this theme park called Disney World? Sure. It's the, the face of Disney World is this mouse called Mickey. He's got big black ears, and he's cuddly, and he likes to hug you. And there's Goofy. Alrighty then. And Minnie. Mickey and Minnie. Giving you hugs. Mickey and Minnie. I think we got the critical mass of people and the wealth that's going to support a direct flight to Orlando. The whole point of this conversation is give us the Chicago flight back or one to the West Coast. How can we be a world-class city and a tech incubator if we don't have world-class travel? How can we be a world-class city if we don't have world-class travel? As Anonymous says, it's slightly undercut. Siva will be a tech business hub, and Siva is a world-class tourist destination narrative. I think that's a great comment by you, um, Anonymous. All right, next topic <clears throat> on today's program. We called this was going to happen. I'll read verbatim what Kachis told the media yesterday. I like Kachis. You like him, don't you? Yeah. I like his transparency. Yeah. I, like, I like that he is being extremely communicative and transparent with the media. Dr. Rashal Brackney left a lot desired to be desired in that department. She was not nearly as communicative and transformative or and, and uh, uh, transparent mm-hmm. as conscious. Now we're still in the honeymoon phase with conscious. You know, we're yeah. in like that early dating period where you, you can't keep your hands off each other. You're constantly making out with each other. Your, your, your hands are touching in the popcorn box. You're eager for the movie to end so you can go to a makeout session in the car. You're eager to get back to the house to see if you can get a little freaky deaky. That's where we're at in the honeymoon period with the police chief right now. Time will tell as the police chief gets a little more seasoned and weathered on the job. I'm hearing from multiple people. The newly minted police chief lives in the 10th and Page neighborhood. Brackney lived in Almoral County. That was an immediate thing that I want to highlight. Police chief is literally talking the talk but also walking the walk, living in 10th and Page. The guy has a total compensation of over 200 k Great money in this area. He likely could have picked opportunities elsewhere besides a gentrifying neighborhood. He chose to go into the nitty-gritty. He tells the media, and I'm going to read it verbatim, then you and I are going to have this conversation. He tells the media yesterday, there are three primary areas in the city where officials have been responding to shootings and shots fired. Michael Kochis, the chief of police, said he's going to create three policing districts, new ones, to address the violence, the gun violence. He says we're looking at hot spots, heat maps of where the violence is happening. They're all clustered, he said. You and I, maybe a month ago, maybe two weeks ago, somewhere between two and four weeks ago, literally said the police department, because it is so entirely vacant, roughly a third of the police department is unemployed, is, is got empty seats, has got vacancies. A third of the department's got vacancies. We said because they have such limited resources within the department, the police department should do neighborhood profiling. 
should profile where the violence and the crime is happening and do concentrated patrols in those areas mm-hmm. because they don't have the resources or human capital to police the entire city. Yesterday, Katja said he was going to do exactly that. And if you had to guess the three neighborhoods, the three cluster neighborhoods of gun violence, what would you think they are? He did not say that to the media yesterday, but you and I, we follow this closely. We're common sense individuals, and we can project what those three neighborhoods are. What do you think they are? I mean, obviously, one of them is Fifeville. Fifeville, number one. I would say Fifeville all day, every day, number one. I'm with you on that. What's your two? Mm, I mean... Is it his own neighborhood, 10th and Page? 10th and Page, number two, all day, every day. 10th and Page is undoubtedly its own neighborhood right now. There was a shooting there on Sunday at 8.37 p.m. in 10th and Page outside the Dairy Market. Dairy Market representatives, the folks that represent ownership of Dairy Market, which is the Manning family, quick to tell the media that the shooting that happened on Saturday night did not happen on Dairy Market grounds. Yeah. Near Dairy Market, but not on grounds of Dairy Market. What do you think the third neighborhood is? Viewers and listeners, what do you think the three neighborhoods of concern for Mike Cotchis are in Charlottesville City? Tenth, Fifeville, I think, is a clear-cut number one. Yeah. We had a murder. Skeeter Smith shot to death there. Tenth and Page. We're seeing gun violence in Tenth and Page. Viewers and listeners, what do you think number three is? Put your thoughts in the feed. We'll relay them live on air. Judah, what are your thoughts? I'm not really sure. I mean, uh, yeah, I'm looking at a map of the... Uh, Matt Daring, what do you think? Spencer Pushard, what do you think? KTP, what do you think? Juan Sarmiento, what do you think? What is the third neighborhood? Curtis Shaver, what do you think? I think the third neighborhood... Potential gun violence, and I do not know. Cautious has acknowledged three. I would think it would be potentially around the... I'm thinking Star Hill, maybe. You but say I, the Star Hill neighborhood? I really don't know. I don't I mean, think it's the Star Hill neighborhood. I'm trying to look... I'm trying to... I don't think it's the Star Hill neighborhood. Okay. I think it's... Um, remember the shootings <laughs> that happened outside Champion Brewing Company? There was the middle school student from Almaro County that was shot a few weeks ago outside Champion Brewing Company. And then there was retaliation a few hours later down the block. Yeah. I so. think that area, and interestingly, it's being developed right now into single-family detached housing. Was but that, I think the area around Friendship Court and Garrett Square is the third area. Is that the edge of North Downtown? I would No. North Downtown is the other way. That's heading toward Belmont. That's, uh, that's the purgatory between downtown and Belmont. The purgatory between downtown and Belmont, I'd say, is the third neighborhood. What do you think, viewers and listeners, agree or disagree with that? makes it look like uh, Garrett is in uh, north downtown. But. Aaron King, what do you think the third neighborhood is? Vanessa Parkhill. Curtis Shaver says Friendship Court and Hardy Drive. That's wh- I think Friendship Court, C-Shave. Spencer Pushard says Sixth Street. See, Shave, the, uh, the talented chef. What was the nickname we gave you, Curtis, on the show? We gave you a moniker. Matt Daring is the king of mountain biking. Curtis Shaver could easily be the king of mountain biking as well. Matt Daring, I feel like I'm selling him short with that moniker, king of mountain biking, because he's just an evangelist for biking in general. I may tweak Matt Daring's moniker and call him the king of bicycling around town. Curtis, what was the nickname we gave you? 
Put it in the feed. Remind me, my friend. Um, I think you're looking at Fifefield, 10th and Page, and Friendship, the Friendship Court neighborhood. As your three neighborhoods of additional police profiling, police districting. Anybody got any beef with that one? With that projection? I'm happy to be uh, listen to learn if you think it's a different one. Juan Sarmanto says the area in front of Three Notch Brewing Company. Yeah, that's the area I'm talking about. That 10th and Pay, there, excuse me, that Friendship Court area. Yeah, that's North Downtown. I don't think that's North Downtown. I'm looking at it. North Downtown's that way. North Downtown is all the downtown mall, everything down to Garrett. I don't think, viewers and listeners, would you call Friendship Court North Downtown? I don't think that's North Downtown. I think North Downtown is the area considered off Lexington Avenue, more toward the old Martha Jefferson Hospital. All right. The well area then, between us and Locust. Well, then Seville PD is wrong. No, I, 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 I'm willing to admit if I'm wrong here. Do you guys think Friendship Court is North Downtown? Do you think Three Notch Brewing Company is North Downtown? I do not think that. I think that is, is, is this purgatory between downtown and Belmont. Maybe we should create a moniker for that area. Is that moniker going to be called Ix Park? The Ix Park neighborhood? Do we call it the Friendship Court neighborhood? I mean, viewers and listeners, what do you think? Juan, I'm responding to your comment now. Agreed. I mentioned this live on air. Jeff, what do you think the answer is? D- DM me on Twitter. What do you think, Warrior AG? Albert Graves. What do you think, Anonymous? And do you have a problem? And, I, and this is a perfect segue into uh, educational racial profiling, which we'll get to in a matter of moments. And educational racial profiling has the name. What's the three words? CRT? Yeah. What is it? Uh, culturally responsive teaching. Culturally responsive teaching. Get ready and giddy up for that, guys. Get ready and giddy up for culturally responsive teaching. Um, should we create Todd Raff, the king of cider, calls it the south side. That would be the south side. That would be south side downtown. X Park, south side, Friendship Court, is that what we're calling it? So you're basically just splitting down, north, you're splitting downtown and making north downtown and south downtown. Yeah. Price be, points are way different. Should it be split on the mall? That's what I think. All right. I think, I think, I'll take it a step further. I think anything South Street, anything on the downtown mall side of South Street, you can call North Downtown. Anything on the three notch side of South Street, you can call South Downtown. The three notch side of South Street, all the way to the other side of Ix Park. We could call South Downtown. And the housing values of South Downtown versus North Downtown are very different. North Downtown, one of the most expensive areas from a housing valuation standpoint. The demographic, socioeconomic and racial demographics of North Downtown and South Downtown are very different. It just doesn't have a brand. Yeah. What's that brand? Ix? I... Is it South Downtown? Are we, did we just make up a brand here? Uh, yeah. I do mean, you the, have an these issue... Are, these are city-designated uh, neighborhoods. Do you have an issue with 
police districts. What? Do you have an issue with Katya saying, we see where the gun violence is, we're going to profile neighborhoods and police patrols were pick up in those three targeted neighborhoods? No. Do you have an issue with that strategy? I don't have a problem with that at all. I don't have a problem with that at all. People will, though. Well. You know people will in this town. They're going to, they're going to, this is what the, the language is going to say. Oh, I know. What, what do you think the language is going to be? They're going to say they're, they're going to say it's racist. I mean, it's, <clears throat> but it's just common sense. I mean, you don't, uh, if you want to go fishing, you don't go to the desert. Oh, yeah, Curtis Shaver's the king of green. That's right. Curtis Shaver just said his moniker is the king of green. That's a great moniker for you, Curtis. I'm never going to forget that nickname again. The king of green, Curtis Shaver. I have no problem with the police districts. No. Folks in this community are going to say that this is systematic racism. First of all, that's... an. That's what folks will say, oh, I, I guarantee know. you. I know, it's an overused term that, ha- that has lost its meaning. I assure and... you that will come out after he said that. Yeah. Anonymous has sent this. I hate to say it, but if you superimpose the blocks of real estate in Charlottesville with multiple shots fired, assaults, and violent crime reports, then you see a lot of the violence happens around public housing or LIHTC housing. I believe that's low-income housing tax credit housing. Hmm. They are one and the same for the most part. He's got the data to back it up with the link that he shared. He's a huge data guy. Vanessa Parkhill, the queen of Earliesville, hope the third zone is not Belmont, but maybe because of the shooting they're involving out-of-town folks, maybe the police know something about why out-of-towners were there that we don't. I do, Vanessa Parkhill, good comment. I do not think it's Belmont. Well, the corner of Belmont is basically sticking its nose in North Downtown's business, so. Yeah, corner of Belmont is sticking its nose in South Downtown's business. Yeah, but I'm talking about actual uh, planning areas based on the city, not on zones that we're creating ourselves. Uh, Matt Daring, the king of bicycling. I think of those areas as more like Belmont. Ix works. I don't think of it as North Downtown. North of the Downtown Mall is North Downtown for me. I think that's a good barometer right there. Matt knows what's up from a city standpoint. I read this live on air. How will the Charlottesville activist community respond to the newly minted police chief saying he's created police districts that are going to historically patrol African-American neighborhoods and a greater frequency and clip? That's basically what's happening now. That's 100% what's happening now. He's saying, here's the violence. We're going to add more police and more patrols in these neighborhoods, and we're going to patrol less these other ones. That's what he's doing. Yeah, more or less. Does the activist community embrace, or does the activist community respond with outrage? I mean, that's a no-brainer. You think it's outrage? Yeah. I think it's going to be outrage, too. I think it's going to be outrage as well. I mean, I don't think there's anything that anyone could do that would ever make them happy about, uh, about policing. 
They don't have enough police officers. They have to do something to get the head of the gun violence. If they patrolled the entire 10.2 square mile city with the same equity with patrols, they would not have enough boots on the streets. And They're they saying would, they have to aggregate the boots on the streets to stop the gun violence. And they would be idiots. And, and we, they would be idiots. And we would have to find people that actually use a, a modicum of intelligence uh, like Conscious is doing. I mean, you, if, you have a, if you have a problem, you address the problem. You don't address everything else but the problem. It just doesn't make any sense. So it's a shame that people will not be happy with uh, with whatever he chooses to do but it sounds like he's uh, it sounds like he has the you know he, it sounds like he has a uh, a good uh, a good view of the problem and the and the pathway towards uh, towards so- solving it towards success i agree i agree now here's the question does michael Kotchis have the political capital banked or are we extending on loan the political capital to Kachis to see this plan through? Does he have enough goodwill banked Does he need to see this plan this? through? Brackney didn't have political capital. Al Thomas didn't have political capital. But, Tim Longo definitely had political capital. But that's not answering the question. I think Kachis is going to catch fire for saying he's going to do police districts on historically African-American neighborhoods. And I think some in the activist community are going to go after him for saying this. And I'm curious, I think we're all in agreement it's the right path. Michael Kochis, this is the right move, dude. This is the right move, dude. You're making the right move here. I'm curious to see if this man is Teflon enough to withstand activist barrage on this strategy of policing. What would the activist barrage do? Did you see what they did to the other police chiefs? Did you see what they did to the other folks in leadership? Did you see what they've done to the police department in totality? There's a reason a third of the department is, not, is, is empty. No one wants to work there. Because socialist Twitter, Charlottesville That's Twitter, not, attacks them. I, I think that's... Uh... We will agree to disagree if you don't think that's having an impact on policing in Charleston. That's not what you said. Okay. Explain to me what I said then. Before we go to the next topic, in our 145 conference call, it's say, now 19 minutes away. You didn't away. say having an impact. You said there's a reason why X, Y, and Z. And, I don't, and yes, I agree that those things have had an effect, but I don't think they're the reason, the sole reason why we have a uh, no, police No, I don't force. think it's the sole reason. The reason the police force is empty is a number of reasons. A lot of people in Charlottesville hate Charlottesville police for some reason. Judah Wickhauer and I love the police in Charlottesville. We routinely back the blue. I get so much SHIT for saying on this talk show in front of a lot of people that I back the blue. I get hate left and right for saying that, but I will always say that I back the blue. I know you feel the same. I'm not putting a, trying to put words in your mouth, but I feel like you, you feel the same. 
Okay? There's a lot of people that hate the police in this town. There's a lot of people calling to defund the police. Police officers are underpaid. They can't afford to live in this community. The jurisdictions adjacent to Charlottesville are offering compensation packages and take-home vehicles that supersede the perks and compensation of Charlottesville. Why would you live in an expensive city when you can go work for an outer county where there's less crime and afford to buy a house and have a better quality of life and have a take-home vehicle? There's a number of reasons why the Charlottesville Police Department is one-third vacant. And it's not, it's, it's 100% not socialist Twitter and Charlottesville Twitter hating on, defunding the, hating on the police and calling to defund the police. That's just one... Uh, one of the contributing factors. One of the contributing factors. It's a perfect storm of nastiness that's caused this. I got a direct message from a valued viewer and listener who asked me to keep his name anonymous. He says, Jerry and Judah, I think they call that neighborhood the Sixth Street neighborhood. Spencer, this was right up your alley. You said it, Spencer. Push hard. He says, they call that the Sixth Street neighborhood. It includes Friendship Court, Sixth Street, Public Housing, and X Park. He also says First Street also has additional public housing that isn't within walking distance, walking distance of Sixth Street. And, and Spencer says, I agree with this, Spencer, and I think many in the community are saying this. Spencer Pushard, who's the king of electronics. You're the, the king of electrical wiring. The king uh, electrician, Spencer Pushard. He says the activist community should be saying our friends and family and neighbors are getting shot. Please help us. Right? They should be. I mean, sure. Uh, just because they should do something doesn't mean they're going to. Correct. Uh, Police profiling, a perfect segue into educational profiling. And I don't know if I fully agree with your take on, on that. I'm going to read this. That's what the parents are saying to me. I'll let the viewers and listeners come on to their own conclusions. I encourage everyone to go to the... In fact, I'll share the link in the comment section of my personal Facebook page now. I'm sharing it in the comment section of my personal Facebook page. I'm sharing it in the comments section of the I Love Seville Facebook page. I'm sharing it in the comments section of the I Love Seville group Facebook page. And on the I Love Seville food Facebook page. I will also put it on our LinkedIn Twitter, iTunes, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, ilovesevil.com, TikTok, Instagram, LinkedIn, YouTube, the Fountain app, and more. This link is on the Almoral County Public School website. It was sent to me by a father yesterday, and then I dug deep into it last night and today, and I was like, what the hell is this, dude? The, the page is Transform Your Classroom with Culturally Responsive Teaching. I'm going to read it verbatim, okay, from the website. And I want you, the viewer and listener, to help me unpack this. Culturally responsive teaching characteristics. Culturally responsive teachers teach to and through culture as they plan curriculum and instruction that is differentiated, rigorous, and relevant. Culturally responsive teaching disaggregates assessment engagement, behavioral, and attendance data by student social and cultural groups and identifies and applies 
differentiated strategies to address growth and learning needs of all students with specific attention to students who are impacted by equity, opportunity, and achievement gap. Do you have any idea what that means? I believe I do. What I don't understand is how anyone can be expected to, any teacher can be expected to be able to do all the stuff. While uh, teaching their Jer class and keeping Jer their kids behave. Jerry's reading number two. No, I, I just, it seems to me like you would need uh, a master's in, in some of this stuff. So what I think it's saying, uh, culture, culturally responsive teachers, so here, uh, teach to, to culture and through culture as they plan curriculum and instruction that is differentiated, rigorous, and relevant. That's not that hard to understand. No, I got but that But then it one. goes on to, uh, they disaggregate assessment, engagement, behavioral, and attendance data by student, social, and cultural groups. So I think what that means is that you're taking the assessment, engagement, behavioral, and attendance data uh, of student, social, and cultural groups, and you're breaking it apart. So you're not saying that all these students are uh, are the same and using the same uh, measuring t tool to measure all of them. So that's, I think, what they mean by uh, disaggregates assessment, engagement. It's saying that you have to, you have to take a different tack for different uh, different social and cultural groups of kids. They're not all the same. You have to, you have to treat them differently. And then it goes on to say that uh, um, it identifies and applies differentiated strategies to address growth and learning needs of all students with specific attention to students who are impacted by equity, opportunity, and achievement gaps. So again, basically it's, uh, it's asking the teacher to, uh, to take a look at your classroom uh, look, identify, and apply strategies that are directed at the individual, uh, you know, social and cultural groups, uh, rather than treating the classroom as a whole and, you know, just teaching them with one single plan. Now, how a teacher is supposed to do right. all of this? I mean, if you had 10 students, That's maybe Dude, you could, you could separate all this out and figure out a way to interact with each of your students in a different way and help them interact with each other in different ways so that they're all, uh, so, you know, so that they're all, uh, what's, what's a good word? Um, uh, Taught in an in, equitable in, setting? Inclusive and all that. Dude, uh, what teacher is going to be able to do this? But to do that in a classroom of 20 or 30 kids, I, you'd, have to be, you'd have to be a teaching genius. Dude, I, I I, that's what I'm saying. I don't see how it's possible. How, how would this be possible? The teachers are already saying the kids aren't listening to them. The kids are vaping in the schools. The kids are fighting in the schools. The kids are assaulting in the schools. The kids won't stay off their cell phones. There's no accountability. When you kick a kid out of the classroom and send him to the principal's office, he comes back 10 minutes later. Now, culturally responsive teaching, you have to not only teach your students the subject matter, 
not only keep them from fighting, not only keep them from using their phones, not only keep them from cussing you out, not only keep them from vaping, not only keep them from showing up tardy to the classroom, but now you have to be uh, a sociologist and an anthropologist. Yeah, and you have to, I mean, it sounds to me, I, I, reading through this whole thing, it kind of sounds to me like you'd have to have dozens of, uh, of teaching plans uh, in place so that you could, uh, so that you could teach to all, all the kids in the classroom. Because some of them are going to respond differently. To now, I don't know how this. And kids are performing at different clip. There was at one time when you were teaching. Basically, you, there was at one time when you were teaching when you and I were coming up, where you taught. You 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 looked at your classroom. You picked the kid that was in the middle from a performance standpoint, and you taught one or two rungs ahead of him or her. And then you hope that the middle and under catches up and you hope that the top from a performance was not bored out of their mind. To say that the teachers have to be culturally responsive teachers, along with teachers in general, is, is Looney Tunes. Yeah. And it's, they're not paid enough money. They don't have enough, they don't have enough, they don't have enough training to do this. They're asking them to be sociologists and anthropologists along with algebra teachers or U.S. history teachers or art teachers or geometry teachers or English teachers. Yeah. You, you literally, it dis, disaggregates assessment, engagement, behavioral and attendance data by student social and cultural groups and identifies and applies differentiated strategies to address growth and learning needs of all students with specific attention to students who are impacted to equity, impacted by equity opportunity and achievement gap. This is the racial profiling of education. I don't... I, this I, is the socioeconomic profiling of education. But it's not... But you, you, you use profiling as though it's a bad thing. In this case, what they're, I think the profiling... What word would be better than profiling? I didn't mean to interrupt you. I apologize. What word would be better than profiling? Viewers and listeners, what word is better than profiling? They're profiling their <laughs> students based on their socioeconomic status or their race, and they're teaching the curriculum differently based on that socioeconomic status or race or their culture. This is word salad. Uh, the King of Ivy, Beth Marcus, word salad to prevent teachers from doing their jobs. The American students are getting, are the, the, the American students, she says, are failing. She thinks that equity is harming all the students. That's the king of Ivy, the queen of Ivy, Beth Marcus right there. If a teacher has to have all of this in mind at all times, I can see how, you know, I can see how the classroom is failing. That's what I'm saying. Like, the, the mindset switch for the teacher in real time, where I'm teaching so-and-so from a wealthy background, and so-and-so from a poor background, and so-and-so from uh, a white background, and so-and-so from a Hispanic background, and so-and-so from an African-American background, and so-and-so who's new to the country, and so-and-so who missed the last few days of school, and so-and-so who's a single fan. But it's not just, the thing is, it's not just those. It's like a crazy Venn diagram of all those things from, uh, from socioeconomic background to race to religion 
to, and I would guess you would have to put in... Uh, uh, sexuality. Oh, yeah. Sexuality. You certainly have to put in sexuality. Plus, race, race only covers what you look like. It doesn't necessarily cover your, uh, you know, where you come from. Because you could have, uh, you know, I mean, you've got, you've got different areas of the world that have, you know, different, uh, different racial, you know, racial makeups. Uh, South America, I mean, South Africa obviously has, uh, has white people. There are Johnny, Johnny Ornalis, who's the husband of a teacher in Almore County Schools. He says, so are you saying we should separate by culture, race, and sexuality? I'm, but not just that. <laughs> that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying we are asking too much of our underpaid and overworked teachers. Yeah. We are setting our underpaid and overworked teachers up for failure through cultural responsive teaching. We are asking too much of them. The teacher should be teaching to the class in totality. Take the, med- the middle performing student and then teach a couple of rungs above the middle performing student and hope the bottom catches up and well, the top is not bored. Well, I believe most, most teachers have time to... Do you know what I did? In, okay, I, I apologize for interrupting no. again. I performed well in school. And did not have to work that hard to get good grades. Do you know what happened in the classes where I was so bored at? You goofed off. I acted up and I got into trouble. Do you know what happened in the classes where I was mentally stimulated? You focused. stuck with it, yeah. If we are teaching to every student in a class as opposed to teaching to the class in totality, you will leave high-performing students in a state of utter boredom. A teacher cannot be a jack-of-all-trades, because if they are, they become a master of none. And teaching to every kid in a 25-person classroom is not sustainable. It's going to cause a burnout for the teacher. It's going to cause terrible quality of life, and it's going to make the teacher feel as if they are a failure because they're having to professionally connect with every student in the classroom as a sociologist, anthropologist, therapist, accountant, and teacher. PhD professors don't have this challenge. Ken Elzinga does not have this challenge, the economics professor at UVA. Larry Sabato, Brad Wilcox don't have these challenges. Yet we're asking someone that's a 23-year-old, fresh out of college, to do this? Seriously. Thursday night, a school board meeting of tremendous proportions. Thursday night collective bargaining is on the agenda for Almore County teachers. If you watch this show, you know I am hugely in favor of collective bargaining for teachers at Almore County Public Schools. Charlottesville City Schools are giving collective bargaining empowerment to their teachers and employees. If Almore County does not do the same, Almore County will get left in the dust. 
because the teachers will quit ACPS and head to Charlottesville City Schools or do something else altogether. Now the school system is asking the teachers to do even more work for the same pay. Even more work for the same pay. That's bogus. Lonnie Murray watching the program. Lonnie, we're, we're not going to use your professional title. We're just going to call you the king of the environment, Lonnie Murray. That's your new moniker. Having studied education, he says, in college, there is a way to do this. However, you need way more teachers, and you have to change the model for how classes are taught. Yeah. He adds, I think the addition of race culture is really a distraction. A simpler way to look at this is to teach kids in the classroom where they are at. The problem is that it's super hard to do so while also doing standardized tests like the SOL. It's an English class. The way you do this is have a topic the whole class was focused on, but then have students form different book groups, which will allow for different reading levels. Hmm. Look at the link in the comments section of my page. Almoral County parents, does this not worry you? The teachers of your children are now expected to not only teach them a subject in class, but also be anthropologists, sociologists, therapists, accountants, behavioral specialists, equity experts. It's impossible to do all that. Who has that skill set? Yeah. Certainly no 23, 24, 25-year-old teacher does. And we wonder why teachers are complaining about piss-poor quality of life and quitting. We'll talk about this tomorrow. Judah Wickhauer, Jerry Miller, The I Live Seville Show on it Tuesday. Tell your friends. Tell your friends. Tell your friends.